Welcome to Iconic, where we talk about all things 13th Age. I'm your host, JM, and with me as always are Nick and Mark. Hey. Hello. We have a great show for you today. We are going to be talking about the Book of Ages, written by Gareth, Rob, and Paul Fanning. Gareth, 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 Gareth. Um, so again, as always, whenever we do our reviews, everything we say is kind of our own opinion here, but we did get uh, PDF copies from... Pelgrane, which we thank them for their support of this show. Just a shout out to them. And just as a warning, this we're going to try to keep this mostly spoiler free. But if you don't want to know anything at all about the possible histories of the 13th age, you may want to skip this episode. Yeah, Just listen to episode 11 again. That's right. Or check out the iconic Patreon <laughs> instead of listening to this episode. What is the Book of Ages? Um, as the name states, it's a book filled with ages. We are in the 13th, for the most part, age of gaming, I guess, in this this game of ours that we love, 13th age. But what happened in the previous 12 ages? At this point, up until this point, we've kind of known a little bit about what started everything. The fall of the Wizard King, the rise of the Dragon Empire, and then kind of what happens here. And if your games are at all like our games, you've probably ended the 13th age once or multiple times in a climactic ending to the campaign that starts the 14th age. But this book does a couple of things. First of all, it sketches out 12 ages. What possible... It is not a can canonical book. You, uh, If you have a GM or players who wants to say this is canon... That's something that has to be worked up by the group. This is not like the grand history of the Forgotten Realms. These are possibilities. These are sketches of previous ages. But it also has, and where I think it really shines, is the engine of ages for sitting down before you even make characters, taking half a night or your night of character creation as saying, Let's sketch out what ages in history are going to be important to us as players and important to our characters as the campaign starts. See, I would do it just the opposite. I would have a session where we roll characters and then get into this. That way you can uh, have an idea of, hey, I'm playing, you know, Maris the Cleric and I want to know what happened. But here's the thing. What happens if you come up with something cool during the engine of ages and want to change your character tough oh. <laughs> no i mean you can always do that i just to me more logical to think do your character and mm. then say okay i'm playing like an example an elf or a dwarf this is what happens you know i'm playing an orc why is there an orc lord age four didn't have one what happened uh yeah. to get there i so. think either way either yeah, way either way works yeah you know either either yeah yeah the timing of of when to go through that engine was a little bit um it was a little bit unclear to me like when when's the best time to do this well in is my it, mind is it really before everything's done or before all the characters are created or would it be better to play through maybe three or four sessions to get a feel for well where's the 13th age at now Mm. And then how did we get there? And then kind of do an interrupt one or I was actually thinking it might, it might even be better to keep all of that hidden from the players and run through the engine with maybe some other GM friends. And so that the players, the player knowledge matches the character knowledge and that they have no clue what happened before. Interesting. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah. As well in my mind. And I, this could be because, so there's a, there is a 
book called Microscope, which is very similar in concept to the Engine of Ages, where you play through a game of microscope and you end up with a world history at the end. So in my mind, and and again, there's no wrong way to do it, uh, especially if we can screw with your players, Nick, I'll sit down and run through <laughs> the, the game of ages with you, you know, basically at any time. But in my mind, if you come to the table and Mark is like, I really want to play a crusader knight. So I want these knights to be a big part of my camp of the campaign coming up and you come through and you want to play Maris, the cleric. And so you have this idea that she's part of this holy order, you know, very sketched out because remember, you're going to be picking factions that are going to be in play. But at the end of it, if we then make characters, I may go, wow, crap, my vampire guys died out or they're not nearly as cool as what Mark did with his crusader stuff. I'm going to make my one unique thing or icon choices based off what happened or even background choices, right? Mm -hmm. When you get done with this, you're going to have campaign background that can then turn into. Yeah. There's lots of different ways to run it. Oh yeah. I see that. Um, I also see it like, like you suggested, um, like a travel montage where the group is in it, but you don't have to just because I'm playing the crusader Knight doesn't mean that's the faction I take. I say, I'm going to, I'm going to throw the thief faction out there. Yeah. So it's not connected to your character, or it doesn't have to be. No. You know, and just kind of throw something out there for the histories and how you're going to do it. Yeah. Well, let's get into, again, we're going we're to try and keep this spoiler-free, but our goal is to make sure that we whet your appetite and let you know if you want to get this book, what you're going to get out of it. So the first part is just kind of an overview of what the book is about. There, there is some good stuff in that first section, though, um, specifically in regards to uh, how to treat your icons that span the ages, mm-hmm. uh, whether they're eternal icons, they're, they're always this same person or, or character or, or embodiment, like the Great Gold Worm. It's always the Great Gold Worm. But the Emperor, it's not. It's always that role, or maybe mm-hmm. in, in varying degrees of uh, power and scope, but it's a different person mm-hmm. um, as it goes through. Um, so you got the, the age-defying ones who they live a really, really long time, but ne- aren't necessarily eternal. You've got those eternal ones. Um, you've got those icons that just keep coming up again and again. Um, there are you know some icons that they talk about in some of the sample um, ages that th- they just aren't there in the 13th age. Mm-hmm. So where'd they go? But we have these that are here now and some of these keep coming up like the lich king or mm-hmm. the emperor or, yeah recurring or the three you know right or even looking at the fallen icons from bestiary two yeah and when do they fit in into the the scheme of things yeah mm-hmm. and then also some advice on just kind of how long should an age be and I think that all of that kind of in that first section, which isn't very long, but I think it, it does a really good job of laying the framework to go into that second section where it's like, all right, now you guys get to create these icons and these age lengths and what sort of mm-hmm. cataclysms happen and make your own ages if you want to. Well, and what I liked about this is that like many things in 13th age, they take what has traditionally been a GM only role world development i mean this is basically how i sketched out the majority of tanar i was like i want seven ages what's the title of each age okay what are the major things that happen what are factions and icons 
I didn't have these terms necessarily when I was doing it, but that's kind of how I sketched out Tanar. And then you guys came in and you uncovered the lore as you went through. They're like, no, this, this is something that we want the players involved in so that they have immediate buy-in to the game. Your character may not know, but the player knows, oh, when that Black Rose shows up, that was my faction. I I know what's going on, even if hmm. Grothnar, the Hell Paladin, doesn't. So, let's walk through how the Age of Engines works. And again, this is a book, I think, that while it's got a lot of GM material in it, it's really designed to be worked by the group, not just by one person. But the first thing you want to do is figure out how many ages do you want to sketch out. Um, if you only want to sketch out three, you probably could get away with half a session and then go make characters or make characters and then sketch out the three most important ages to the campaign. If you're looking up setting a long-term 13th age campaign, you may want to set a whole night so that you can sketch out all 12 ages. Yeah. That's that's what I like about it too is you don't have to every time you do this okay age one and go through all you can say you know what let's just roll a d4 and do the last couple ages mm-hmm. of recent fairly recent history and get into our campaign if that's what you want to do or they even suggest you roll a d4 and you don't do the whole you do the whole twelve but you do like the fourth the seventh the ninth mm-hmm. and you just kind of skip the other ones because not as much happened you hit mm-hmm. kind of highlights of what you want to hit well and even with doing a lesser die. It allows you to, as the GM, to really narrow in what uh, what is going to be important to this game. Are mm-hmm. all 12 ages going to be important or really this threat from the fourth and seventh age mm-hmm. kind of coming back up? But then you, you, you define the factions. You're not looking at you're not zooming so much in on a single person, but you're looking at like a broad grouping. So, Nick, how would you kind of define a player coming to the table with a faction and what, what should they expect out of this? Um, I think that when you're considering which factions to choose from and and they give you a a list of a hundred that you can either roll randomly for, or you can just pick from, or, you know, even at your own game gaming table, you know, make up your own factions. Mm -hmm. I think that it's important to think through these aren't icons. Mm -hmm. These aren't the movers and shakers, but these might be the pawns of those icons. Mm-hmm. And so you, you think about the the agents of an icon and what sort of things are they going to be doing? What's going to be motivating them? Um, and so then when they're thinking about uh, the impact of what those factions might be, the, the rise or fall of that faction uh, throughout an age, um, what might, you know, sort of ideas might spawn from that. But um, so after you choose your factions, you also then are, are defining what, what are your anchor points? What are the the spots inside of that particular age that um, it, it was such a an important piece is just like a, a cinder block in the time stream. It's like you can't get around that. It, it's mm-hmm. either the apex of your faction or maybe um, the nadir of your faction where um, you just you bottomed out and there's nowhere to go but up. Um, or like I said, <laughs> vice versa, you're at the very, very top and something's going to happen right at that point that's going to trigger your your fall. Mm-hmm. Or it's a crossover. Uh, where maybe it's associated with another one, something happens, or even iconic. So, yeah, mm-hmm. you pick your anchors and what's going to be be there. And the GM is supposed to come to the table with factions as well. And just a handful. You're going to be going through the same steps as the players. But really, what I like about this mode of campaign design, you're going to get something that's greater than the sum 
of the individual parts mm-hmm. and everybody is going to have the same starting point of reference as players going through. It reminds me a lot of clan creation in hero quest. I don't know if you remember going through that, Nick, yeah. where it's like, all right, nobody knows about Glorantha, but we're going to take our time answering these questions. And not only are you going to have a good arc of knowledge, knowledge for Glorantha, but you're all going to have specialized knowledge of your of your clan, which your characters would have going into this game. And you've all made input and made choices and decisions kind of going forward on that. And I think too that it's it's important that there, there's questions that get asked in the midst of this. It's not just me popping down and say, I'm going to take the thief faction and this happened and this happened and this happened. Is that there's this dialogue taking place at the table between mm-hmm. the GM and all of the other players. Um, and even if it's my faction that I'm supposed to be the one answering questions for, I mean, there's freedom for other people to jump in and say, oh, I've got an idea how this could be even better. Mm-hmm. And And I like how how they advise the GM not to just ask stale static questions, but to ask questions as if they were some sort of historian or uh, putting together a travelogue and going, well, this thing is here and it's associated with with this faction in the in this age. Why is this record still here? Because when you ask it that way, not only are you getting characters inspired about the world, but that's something you can throw into into the game you know mark adds a castle that his faction held in the sixth age and then we go to these you know i i set up a ruin that they have to go into well it's the ruins of that castle and then mark mark walks away with like this session what may not have been about me but it was about me like i put this into the world and Mm -hmm. a little bit more player buy-in and ownership with it yeah Yeah. a little bit it's a it's a great way to well i should say it's a great way on paper i've yet to try it uh but it's a great way to generate initial player investment as opposed to just make your character come down. You meet in a tavern. Let's go. Yeah. Unless that tavern spans the ages. Never. And I can see it kind of like the travel montage, which you start certain people are, are hesitant to get involved. So you kind of, okay, we'll skip over yours and go, go to Nick. Okay. And after a couple of people start, Oh, okay. I got, I, I know what to say now. It's okay to come up with some weird answer yeah. to fill it in. So, The other thing this really reminds me of in a very positive way um, is Dirty Dungeons, mm. which I've run for you guys many times. And we should probably have a link to that in the show notes um, as a way to, as a GM, just offload a lot of the evilness that you're going to throw into the campaign into the, onto the players. And then they have someone to blame. <laughs> Is there anything else you guys want to highlight about this section? Well, maybe maybe a, a advice question. If you are running a game for your group of players and you want to run them through this engine of ages and your players maybe have a, a, a hard time being creative mm-hmm. or coming up with those creative answers, those the names of a village or the, a, a castle or something like that on the fly. Do you have any advice on how to maybe kind of draw them out? Uh, one thing that I like to do when I've done microscope or other things like this, dirty dungeon, that kind of thing, providing a list of names, like even if it's just, Hey, here's a list of colors, a list of directions, a list of land features, pick two. 
spin them around and give me something. Or, you know, as the GM, your goal in this is really more of a moderator. So throw out some ideas. Have the group crowdsource the the question. If you can't come up with a good idea for a castle, encourage the player to be like, well, do you guys do you want like the group to discuss this? Get the synergy going between the group. I don't necessarily feel like, especially in something like this, wanting to, well, if you don't have something, let me give you the name of this. Sometimes, yeah. I mean, I guess, sure. But the goal is to to draw people in, mm-hmm. not to make, like, hard answers. Yep. I don't know. What would you say, Mark? Yeah, maybe something like that. Kind of prod them, give them some suggestions. You can even get into, like, okay, like, for the castle example. Okay, this castle was built and was called a certain name then. But as you go through and what happened... What's it called now? You know, is it the Haunted Moors? It's no longer, you know, Castle Nick. It's three ages ago. It's now the Haunted Moors because you don't want to go there. Um, just, yeah, throw a thing and, and try to get the group involved. Most have a few gregarious players that are willing to throw their opinions out there, which isn't a bad thing. Get, get things moving. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, ideas are exchanged. I suppose, too, it might help to maybe for some of those questions or some of those players to, uh, instead of asking such open-ended questions, kind of narrowing it down in yes or no questions, is this castle still around? Mm-hmm. Yes or no? And then kind of go from there and, well, is it still in the place where it was? And then kind of not necessarily asking them just flat out why, which then puts all of the pressure on them to come up with a reason yeah. to kind of kind of yeah. guide them along in that a little bit. There's some good suggestions that they give in mm-hmm. here too as far as as a chronicler and asking and pulling out instead of just giving the wide open. What happened here? It's, okay, we determined, you know, we're in the faction of the Imperial Legions and what happened narrow some questions down, they come up with an idea and then start riffing off that. And then before you know it, they might throw things out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, was yeah. there a great battle here? You know, that's what we're looking for. We're not looking for the castle that was built, never attacked. Everyone just died of old age and it fell into disrepair. Right. Okay, that doesn't give us a whole lot. <laughs> right. And again, in that role of moderator, asking open-ended questions, asking the questions in character as, mm. you know, one of these historians. And again, I would say, you know, open it up to the group. Let the player who is supposed to make the final decision make the final decision. Empower them to do that. But, you know, if they want to take in ideas from the from the group, then the whole group gets buy-in to everybody's ideas. And I think that generates a lot of goodwill and investment. Mm-hmm. They even suggest if you have a group willing, um, when you get to some anchor points, doing a little mini session. Mm-hmm. Okay, if this is something important. Okay, let's let's play out that siege. You're the Lord, throw them in there and they can play it out. And so Mm -hmm. now they know what happened. Yeah. In there, they give you an example chronicle. And as Mm -hmm. a GM, I look at it. um, I don't think this is a spoiler. You've got the thieves, the Imperial Legions, Dark Elves, Undead GM inserted, Dwarves GM, and Wizards GM. So the GM inserted three, players inserted three. First through 12th ages, I'm on page 15 of the book. Just looking at this, I can come up with a story. Looking at these anchor points from these mm-hmm. factions, I've already got a story in mind of what happened. And like the the zenith of the thieves in the fifth age is the nadir of the dark elves. That's got to be connected. I mean, mm-hmm. it's immediately, what did the thieves do? And two ages later, it changes. So the dark elves get their revenge. That's the way I see it. I look at this. It doesn't have to be. could have been anything, but... It, is, it feeds right to it. 
Well, and especially looking at that and saying something like, all right, let's let's leave some of these questions open and like don't ask those questions. Leave it open so that you can look at it after the fight. Or not sorry. So you can look at it after the session and go, mm-hmm. all right, here's what's going on. Yep. But just I can look at that and it just it kind of builds on stuff that I can throw out there as a GM mm-hmm. and certain things. I think it was pretty cool. But if the engine sounds like it's too much work or you maybe are having a hard time with it at your table, there are 12 predefined ages mm-hmm. in the, the last part of this book, too. Yeah, section three is filled with 12 very well fleshed out in the purposefully half-baked way of the Dragon Empire so that there's still something uh, for you to add, if you will. So we're not going to go too deep into these other ages because, well, then there would be no reason to buy the book. <laughs> but there, this book is filled with new races, new powers for classes, new talents, new magic items, new icons, and just a ton of new monsters. A new bard feat. Yeah, a new bard feat. There's, there's a lot of mechanical goodness packed into this book. And... The nice thing about having these is, as Nick said, if you want to, congratulations, you have the 12 ages just kind of laid out for you. If you guys are only doing four parts of the Book of Ages, well, all right, let's do, if we're going to do four, seven, and nine, let's fill in the rest of the ages, which kind of these like standard, standard in quotes, ages from the book. Um so let's just do this. What, and they give you I, and their take on where they think the age should go. But you can shift it any way you want. Oh yeah, you, there's you know? the only two firm points on the age map is what happens in age one and the fact that we're in thirteenth. Like the rest gets very wibbly wobbly uh, with some timey wimey stuff mm-hmm. kind of in there. So. Nick, let's start with you. What was your big, what was the age that you liked the most? And what was your big uh, standout uh, from this third section? It was hard choosing a favorite age. Uh, the, the two that I'd say stood out to me was uh, the age of the Blazing Meteor. And um, as a way to bring into this magical empire some other forms of technology, if mm. you will, mm-hmm. um, and kind of bridging that science and fantasy gap, which I like that bridge. So that's probably why that stood out to me. Uh, one of the past 13th age games that I ran, one player was a chaos mage and they were a human that somehow fell through some sort of transdimensional portal, but they were actually an astronaut from earth. And as I was reading through, it's like, this would be, have been perfect. It's like, no, you didn't actually fall from earth as you think you did, but you're actually from this past age sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also found the, the age of the howling moon, highly, highly entertaining. So I got one question for you. Yes. Uh, did you blow it up or did they blow it up? Um, what do you mean? Charlton Heston. You blew it up. Sorry, I, I missed that reference. Oh, it's a uh, Planet of the, the Apes, Apes, where oh, the, the, the movie is on the beach and he sees the Statue of Liberty. Oh, you blew it up! You blew it up, yo. <laughs> you have to fall down into the sand and uh, yeah, drop down. It. Yeah. 
Um, I did one of the other things just because of a general statement that I really liked about this last section was, uh, or two things. One is, um, it kind of gave it from the perspective that historians and bards and as legends are told, um, it's not super reliable information. And so even if you have two groups who are playing through these exact same 12 ages, they're going to be looking very mm-hmm. different because different groups are going to grab out onto the different things and say, well, no, actually this is how it played out. Um, and JM, like you alluded to, it's just, it's this, the stereotypical thing about the 13th age products and that they give you the general framework and allow you to kind of build out the rest of it. Yes. Um, and, so, okay. and then the second thing I was going to say was, um, it also gives you uh, 12 examples of how might the 13th age end as well. Yes. You know, Cause each one of those 12 end in some sort of cataclysm and it gives you some ideas of what type of thing might bring about the end of the 13th age as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're all just, thing your player did <laughs> this yeah. thing your player did <clears throat> um, i like the unique monsters that they throw into that maybe they don't exist in the 13th age but in the sixth age they were there or even new race options mm-hmm. yeah that they were there they died out or they're in mm-hmm. hiding or, or what happened or they're in stasis waiting to come out yeah um so i i agree with nick i really like the age of the howling moon this idea that lycanthropy spreads through through the empire, the dragon empire and is associated with the nobility. And it's almost fashionable to be a lycanthrope thanks to the efforts of a mysterious new icon that, uh, goes away at the end of this age. Um, but I also really like the age of the gods. It's one of the earlier ages. It's alluded to in the book that the priestess and the, the crusader are the champions of these gods who also act as their intermediaries. And with the age of the gods, we find out why, if you will, like if you choose to use the age of the gods, there was this time where the gods were like, cool, we're going to go stomp around the, the world. And they find it a lot more fragile than they had anticipated. <laughs> and they make this. Sorry, you are bad. That's right. They make this ban at the end of the, the end of the, uh, the age going, yeah. All right. We're going to work through intermediaries from here on out because so it also has almost a. Great compromise from Glorantha kind of feel where in order to preserve creation, the gods agree to not interfere and only mm-hmm. only reenact the stuff that they did in the god time in Glorantha. And here they're like, we we can't we have to have the same sort of agreement so that creation survives because woof, we've really tore this place up. Yep. Yep. What about you, Mark? What's, well, the, what stands out? To segue into the Glorantha thing, um, they also throw a bone out there about that uh and hero questing in that you can use your ages to, hey, we, we need to get that chaos mage to open that portal so we can go back to the fifth age and retrieve St. Cuthbert's mace because that's what we need to defeat X. And you can go hero quest in the 13th age for a specific. It's not as so prevalent as in Glorantha and for the same reasons, but hey, we can go do a little time travel, go back and find, you can't really change time, but you can go back and maybe get this item that was lost, you know, at the point where Cuthbert comes to the dragon's venom and dies and drops his mace, things move on, you move over, pick it up before it gets lost to the ages and you bring it back to the 13th age for what you need, something like that. And I think that's a great way to bring in Glorantha blessings into the game. If you're going to start doing hero questing into the past, then your character should come back a little changed with some, you know, charged with some energy from the, from their yeah. experience. And if you don't want to make it, I said, as common as Glorantha does, but you can throw it in, you know, as maybe 
a champion adventure where they go and do something. And it doesn't have to be, like you said, as much, but you go do that that one time. You're not really messing with time, but you need to recover something or see what happens, you know, see how the gates to, you know, the golden king's tomb is sealed so you know the password you know, the magical incantation to get back in. Okay, let's go back to 13th age because we got to get in here um, and retrieve something, you know, something like that. So I'm not quite a hero quest where you're trying to reenact everything, but do the time travel uh, and do that thing. Well, I think that's a, if you have the idea that you want to do that in your game, then as you're going through the engine of ages or even reading through the ages you're planning on using, it's always fun to earlier in the campaign drop that, you know, St. Cuthbert and his band of nameless heroes, you know, drop hints that there is this weirdness that surrounded this event. And it turns out that it's the players who are the weirdness that surrounded that event. Oh yeah. 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 You know, the mace disappeared in the midst of time because it was actually taken taken by you future. back. Yeah. Right, you know, like Maris the Elder. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but on that note, on the, the idea of uh, hero questing and time travel, there are mechanics in here on how to best, or, or there there are mechanics introduced here on how to do time travel. It's yes. not just strictly a montage. There's oh yeah, um, no, yeah. There's 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 a risk of failure, yeah. um, chance mm-hmm. of. Um, not necessarily a, a great success, but you know you get close enough, sort of thing, um, which I thought was a, a nice new mechanism for them to introduce. I was thinking it, it would have been really easy for them just to say, travel montage, do a ritual, and plop, there you are. Mm-hmm. Um, but to actually have there be a, this risk of failure, and you end up in not the age that you were wanting to be in, and now you've got to figure out how to get out, or maybe you landed in the age, but not the same, the right year, or you know those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Mark, what what ages do you like? I like the age of the bone altar jam. Why is that? <laughs> um, I like the the quote right at the beginning: "The true king, the true king has returned." And we've talked about the white, mm-hmm. who he or she is, why they're gone, maybe not gone. And looking through this, it just came to me. Uh, kind of ties into the age of claw and wing. What if, this is a big what if because I'm breaking all the tropes, what if the white and the red and the blue and the green were in the past age were good dragons and the short-lived the short races were greedy and jealous and turned on them and the white, who was good and white and pure and a friend of the mage king or the wizard king, ruled prosperously but were overthrown. One became the Lich King and one died, became the Draco Lich, and in their fury became angry. And the gold and the silver are really dwarven automations. They're not really true dragons and were made to fight the true dragons. And they're now considered evil just because, you know what, you guys threw us down? Okay. Well, I mean, even just the fact that, like, now I want a new icon in the game that's the Draco Lich. Like, well, and they hinted at that, you yeah. know, the Draco Lich and the the Lich King. Mm-hmm. Who is it? Well, it's the White because in that final battle thrown down by these mechanical dragons, 
And that just the whole true king, and he tries to preserve his quote unquote empire. And as you go through it, some of the things like where they split it up, and you know, he still considers it his empire. You guys took it away. I didn't want to be this way, but yeah. this was the only choice to keep fighting. Well, there you have it. Evidence that this book will inspire rewriting history. That's right. That's right. That's just that's what it's about. You rewrite history. You know what? And that's what I would insert in there somewhere that, you know, where the white and, and the dragons helped, everything was peaceful and great. And that all went to. You screwed it up. And now you got this mechanical monstrosity blocking. Is he blocking or holding open the, the abyss mm-hmm. for the demons? So would you say they screwed it up or they blew it up? They blew it up. You blew it up. <laughs> and I also have uh, a, a monster, not from the same. Well, I guess it is from, I have to look and see if it's from the same age, but the Icker Vampire. Oh, yeah. Have you looked at that, Nick? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Minor spoiler, they're a very tough vampire because of who they bit. Yep. And we'll just leave it there. <laughs> we'll just leave it there. They are fantastic. Yep. Great inspirational book. I, I Even if you don't want to create all 12 ages with your players, I would recommend it to GMs just because it's a great inspiration. I don't know if I would put it up there in the hierarchy of books to buy, like with the GM screen and that GM resource book. Um, It's strictly not necessary that you could play your entire campaign exclusively inside the 13th age and never really have a need for this book. But there's so much in this book uh, that you can take inspiration from. There's new races. There's new class options. uh, There's a whole lot more monsters and a book full of inspiration for you to kind of even tweak what your 13th age looks like. It boggles my mind that it's only 122 pages. Yes. There's a lot packed into that. So, yeah. And and I, I agree, Nick. It's not... There's a lot of people who get together and play this. I think it'll strike a chord with the group that continually plays 13th Age, and this is like their third or fourth campaign. They've started over new. And the GM's like, how can I make it different? What can I change? This will change every time. If you use this book, you go back and rewrite history and all the legends and all the things. And again, it just helps write your campaign because it has the legends, legacies, and layers. Is it magic item? Is it a layer? Is it this legend from the past that you can throw into your campaign? That's that's great. I think it really helps a lot. For a player, I think there's this. it's chock full of one unique things and background hooks. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah definitely. You know, so you're trying to figure out some books it's better for the GM to buy. Some books is better for the, maybe the player. This I think this is one that would benefit both sides of that GM screen. Yes. Sure. I also think that running through the Age of Engines is going to give you an amazing amount of the same. Like going through and going, well here's my background because this organization existed. The other thing that I think would be very interesting, if you've got a group that's dedicated to 13th age and you guys love it as much as we do, and you just play 13th age campaign after 13th age campaign, maybe consider, Hey, so for this one, we're going to do four. We're going to cover ages five, seven, and nine. Great. That was awesome. All right. So our next campaign Five, seven, and nine are locked. Let's do another four. Mm. And so by your third or fourth campaign, you have a very personalized chist for your group. And you have all of the campaign history that was going on at the same time. So you're really making your own table version that's kind of developing over time of the Dragon Empire. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You can currently get Book of Ages at uh, Pelgrane Press's website. It's available for pre-order. 
you get the P- access to the PDF immediately. Book will ship whenever it's done printing. If you can travel back in time through a Hero Quest and get to Gen Con 2018, they had preview copies available, but as we are recording this after Gen Con, it will require a mighty Hero Quest to go back and get. And beat all the other people who picked it up. That's true. But it's $25. It's a great deal for everything that you get in this book. Again, it is mind-boggling that it's only 122 pages for what you get. Yep. Yeah. And at the same time, it's kind of mind-boggling that it's only $25. Yeah. I'm just, again and again, I am am very pleasantly surprised at the high quality, low cost resources that are available to uh, 13th age players and, mm-hmm. uh, and GMs. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, I think that's a wrap guys. Well, you've been listening to the iconic podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, you can contact us at iconicpodcast at gmail.com or call and leave a voicemail at 720-924-1706. And be sure to check out iconicpodcast.com for news, updates, and new episodes. Thanks for listening.